Let me tell you about the time that I ran over a grandma with my bike. Now, I know this sounds crazy, so I'll explain. I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to a lot of things, and that included learning to ride a bike. Now, every summer I would start to learn, and I thought I'd gotten the hang of it, but then, inevitably, it would get into the rainy season, and I wouldn't ride my bike as much, and by the time the next summer came around, I had already completely forgotten. So finally, I got to be around eight years old, and I thought, enough is enough. You know, I I have toddlers doing circles around me, and I decided that once and for all, I needed to seriously learn how to ride a bike. So there I was in front of my driveway, struggling to keep my balance on this thing, when all of a sudden, this older woman came walking down, and she noticed me trying and basically failing to ride my bike. And being the sweet little old grandma that she was, she came over to me and offered to help me. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend letting a complete stranger teach you how to ride a bike. Times have definitely changed since I was little. But at the time, I was just so desperate to get this bike riding thing down that I agreed. So this grandma, she grabbed the handlebars of my bike. And as I was pedaling, she ran alongside me to keep me from falling over. She was encouraging me. And for a moment, I thought I had done it. I thought I had finally learned to ride this bike. Until suddenly, everything went terribly wrong. The lady, as we were running, she loses her grip on my handlebar. She starts to fall, and suddenly she's pulling me down with her, and I'm running her over, and we both crash to the ground. And I look over at this grandma, and she's she's insisting that she's okay, but she's got a huge gash on her forehead, and blood is dripping down her face. And needless to say, we didn't do any more bike riding that day, and I never saw her again. What started as a simple teaching moment turned into such a chaotic situation, and all this lady had wanted to do was help. Have you ever experienced something like this? A moment turned to chaos, a good intentioned act turned into something that knocks everyone off balance? This is exactly what the ancient church in Corinth was going through 2,000 years ago. Now we're continuing in our Life hack series. And in this series, we've been going verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians, a first century letter written by a man named Paul to a church he had planted in Corinth. And now this was a church with a lot of problems. And throughout the letter, Paul, he tries his best to address some of these problems with wisdom and with practical solutions. And one of the main problems that the church in Corinth was facing was that their worship services were pure chaos. And Paul was writing them to give them a little more structure and order when they gathered together. So let's read what he has to say, starting in verse 14. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now let's pause here for a moment. You see that line at the end of verse 26? It says, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Underline that phrase. That's the heart behind what Paul is writing. That's the why behind this message today. And that's the calling given to every Christ follower. And it's also our life hack for today, which we're actually going to start off with. So here's the life hack. You are meant to be a builder of God's church, not your own. I wanted to start with that today because everything we're going to be learning today stems from that. That you are meant to be a builder of God's church, not your own. So what does building God's church mean? What what does this look like, practically speaking? Well, building up or edification, as Paul uses in the original Greek language that this letter was written in, it's defined as the instruction or improvement of a person morally or intellectually. 
A more specific definition describes it as the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. In other words, building up the church means that everything we do should involve growth, understanding, and encouragement, and it should bring God's people together. It means doing what will benefit everyone and not just ourselves. See, in the Corinthian church, everyone came in with their own agenda. Like Paul says, everyone came in with their own word from God, their own teaching, their own song, none of which are bad things. But instead of going about this in an orderly way, their worship services became a sort of free-for-all. People were talking over one another, interrupting, asking questions in the middle of the service, speaking in tongues with no interpretation, and then just moving on to the next thing like nothing had happened. Everyone was trying to bring their own thing to the table, but it wasn't really working together. Have you ever tried cooking something new and the ingredients just did not go well together? You take two things that are great on their own, like cookies and ranch sauce, but when you put them together, it's not good at all. You're not gonna blend a burger and fries into a milkshake, right? You're not gonna add chocolate chips to your soup. See, these things are great by themselves, but they don't necessarily work together. And that is what Paul is addressing here. He's saying, hey, you each bring something to the table when we gather for worship, but it needs to happen in a structured way. It needs to all work together. And if it doesn't, it might mean taking a step back. Let's read again what he has to say about speaking in tongues. Going back, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now, we talked a bit about this last week, but speaking in tongues, it's the supernatural ability to speak words in an unlearned language. It's a gift from God, and it can be a super personal and emotional experience. And there are times when speaking in tongues in the public gathering can be quite edifying. Like Paul suggests, if a couple people speak in tongues one at a time, and an interpreter comes and relays the meaning of these messages to everyone, then tongues are more than welcome in a worship service. However, if it simply becomes a matter of who can speak over one another, or if there's no one to interpret the message, then this no longer builds up the church. It's no longer edifying. In cases like this, Paul says, it's best to keep that message to yourself. Stay quiet or speak to yourself. Just keep it a personal experience. See, the problem with people just speaking out in tongues without interpretation or too much of this happening was that it didn't contribute to the main goal of building up the church. There would be all these people speaking in unknown languages, but no one would know what it meant, and often people would leave church more confused than they came. And that's not what church is meant to be like. It's meant to be a place where we grow, where we learn, where we come together as one. It needs to be an us experience, not a me experience. And this is hard because it's the opposite of what our culture teaches. Culture teaches that it's all about you, your needs, your priorities, your schedule. But if we simply approach church as a place to carry out our own agenda and get our own needs met, then we're missing the point. Because building the church means you care more about communicating the truth than getting your own spiritual high. It means you care more about communicating the truth than getting your own spiritual high. Now, spiritual highs are great. If you've ever been to any sort of camp or retreat, you know what I'm talking about. You have this emotional experience with God and you leave thinking, God, I'll, I'll do anything for you. This feels amazing. I am never gonna come down from this. But eventually the spiritual high fades. And because you didn't take the time to follow up and grow in your faith daily, you crash. And I've seen this happen so many times in youth ministry. Students who come to camp, who are all in for God, they're riding the spiritual high, 
But a couple months later, they're right back doing the things that they used to do, and they stop coming to youth entirely. That's why we can't depend on a spiritual high. We can't base our faith on those emotional moments. If we actually want to be built up, and if we want to see the church be built up, then there needs to be space made to actually grow in your faith and to daily learn more about God instead of just chasing emotional experiences. And what Paul is saying here is that as great as speaking in tongues is, if it's not the place to be shared, if it's not communicating anything to anyone, if it's something that really is only going to benefit yourself, then it's better to just stay quiet. Because building the church means you care more about communicating the truth than getting your own spiritual high. Now, if we go on in this passage, reading in verse 29, it says this, Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Now, we also talked quite a bit about prophecy last week. So if you missed it, feel free to go to our YouTube channel to watch that sermon. The basic definition that we like to give of prophecy is the ability to declare God's thoughts at a given moment. But just like speaking in tongues, Paul is also putting some limitations around when prophecy should be used in a worship service. He's being practical here, and practically speaking, prophecy tends to take some time. If everyone were to prophesy during a service, they would be there all day. As it is, some of you have a hard time sitting through this one hour that we're here. You're looking at your watches thinking, is she almost done? I've got lunch plans. So in order for their services not to go on for hours and hours, Paul suggests, hey, let's just have two or three people prophesy each service. The thing about prophecy, though, is we have to be careful with it. Anyone can stand at the front of the church and say, well, God told me this, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. I'm sure some of you have gone on a date before where the other person said, God told me I'm supposed to be with you. And maybe that was true, but it's easy to throw around phrases like that, which is why we need to evaluate prophecy carefully. Prophecy is an attempt to explain the mind of God, and sometimes we get it right, but sometimes we don't. And that's why in this passage, Paul tells the Corinthian church to weigh carefully what is said. And this is something that we should be doing all the time. There's always false news circling around, always rumors that turn out to be untrue. And if we simply take everything at face value without weighing it out, we're left with a bunch of lies. See, think of when you're eating a piece of fish. A lot of times there's still a few bones left in it, so you need to spit those out. You don't want to be swallowing bones with your salmon. And in the same way, we need to be able to take in the information that we're given, particularly when it has to do with God, we need to chew on it thoughtfully and then spit out the things that aren't true, the things that don't align with God's character and his word. Because building the church means assessing what you hear and submitting what you say. It means assessing what you hear and submitting what you say. And this especially applies to prophecy. That's why when we do make room for people to prophesy, it happens in a very orderly way. You might have witnessed this at Broadway before where during worship, someone comes up to one of our pastors and speaks to them. And oftentimes, these people have received a prophetic word from God, a spontaneous prophetic thought that has come into their mind. And it's then the pastor's job to discern, is this a word that is appropriate for right now? And if it is, do I bring this individual up to share it to the congregation, or do I share it on their behalf? They have to weigh what has been said and discern the truth of it and whether or not it's from God. And I encourage you to do this with everything that you hear. Even do it with this sermon. 
Don't just take my word for it. Go home and study these passages for yourself. Weigh out what I've said and assess what you hear. And then there's that second part. Submit what you say. This means surrendering to God the words that he gives you. Surrendering the message that's on your heart. Ask him, is this something you want me to share with everyone? Is this something the church needs to hear? Will it build people up or will it actually cause some people to stumble? A good question to ask yourself is, do you have something to say or do you just want to say something? Submitting what we say means giving God the ultimate authority on what we share and when we share it, particularly when it comes to a worship service. If it is something that's meant to be shared with everyone, then we submit that to him. We trust him with the results that he will use that message to affect people's hearts. And if it's something that's meant to be kept to ourselves, then we submit that as well. We trust that God will use this message to work on our own hearts and teach us something new. Now, this is something that I have to do anytime that I preach. I have to submit what I say to God. I say, God, I've written out what I'm going to say, and I believe that you've called me to speak on this. But if there's anything new that you want me to share or anything that you want me to leave out, you direct my speech. I will submit these words to you. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Is what you want to share helpful? Will it build others up? Is it beneficial? Ask yourself these things. Because building the church means assessing what you hear and submitting what you say. Moving on in the passage, Paul says this, Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, hold on. This is a controversial passage, and people have used and twisted this verse for all sorts of things. And me standing up here, reading it to you right now, it's pretty ironic, right? Now, I'm not going to deal with this part of the passage too much today, but this is an issue that at Broadway, we don't want to shy away from. In fact, Pastor Darren will be teaching a class on this in the fall called A Biblical Study on Women in Ministry. And he'll be going through a few passages in the Bible, including this one, that deal with women, explaining those verses and some of the context around them. Now, this is a class that's for everyone, men and women alike. And let me tell you, it is full of information that you thought you knew, but really, you didn't. What I will say about the topic, though, is this. At Broadway, we believe in both men and and women carrying out the work of God with the gifts that they've been given. We believe that women can preach, that they can pastor, that they can lead worship, and that God has actually gifted them to do so. In the passage we just read, Paul is not hating on all women here. He's not saying that women have no place in the church. If he was, he would actually be contradicting himself. Because in other letters that he writes, even in the previous chapters of 1 Corinthians, he encourages women to pray and to prophesy, to be involved, to use their giftings for the glory of God. This is very much a contextual thing he was writing to this specific church with their specific issues, where many women in the church were constantly interrupting and turning their worship services into more of a discussion group. That's why it's so important to look into the context and the details when it comes to passages like this, which is exactly what we will be doing in Pastor Darren's class later this year. Now, continuing on in Paul's letter, he writes, Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. 
Here, Paul is using a bit of sarcastic language. He's calling out the congregation. See, the people in the church of Corinth seemed to have the idea that because they could speak in tongues or prophesy, because they had all these spiritual gifts, they were just so much better. They were holy, they were special, and everyone should just listen to them. But here, Paul is pointing out, these gifts are given from God. He is where these words are coming from, and he has the power to give these gifts and these words of prophecy, not just to you, but to anyone he chooses. If God puts something on your heart to share, that is great. But don't forget that the message is from him, that it's by his grace that he's given it to you to share. You want to call yourself spiritual, Paul asks? Well, people who are truly spiritual always recognize the authority of God and his word. So therefore, if God has the ultimate authority, then what we do in a worship service, how we conduct ourselves, it should never be contrary to scripture or God's character. Because building the church means operating in step with God's character and God's word means operating in step with God's character and God's word. If you want to build people up, if we want Broadway to be a place where people grow and are encouraged, then it needs to happen in accordance with what God says and who he is. And in scripture, we learn that God is in fact a God of order. If we go back to the book of Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible and the beginning of the world, the first thing that God does is bring order out of chaos. Let's read this together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. You see what's happening here? It says in Genesis that the earth was formless and empty and dark. Now, the word that the writer uses for formless in the original Hebrew it was written in is the word tohu. And when used in other instances in scripture, tohu is also used to mean in confusion or of chaos. In other words, the earth was pure chaos and God decided to bring order to it. He created a schedule, night and day, light and dark. See, God from the very beginning has always brought order to things. It's in his nature. And so if our worship services are meant to be representative of him, If our churches are supposed to be heaven on earth, then they need to be orderly and decent, just like he is. And if people choose to ignore this, then Paul puts it very bluntly. They should not get the platform to speak at all. Finishing off the passage, Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Paul is clarifying here that he is not forbidding prophecy or speaking in tongues, quite the opposite. He tells the people of Corinth to desire these things, that gifts like these should be encouraged. However, there is a stipulation that things must be done in an orderly way. Because if structure and order is important to God, it should also be important to us. And the truth is, if a true biblical gift is used at the proper time in the proper way, then it will inevitably build people up. It will be edifying. This is what God wants. But when used in an indecent way at the wrong time, instead of building others up, it becomes divisive and destructive. And this is what Paul is instructing against. Now, some might argue, doesn't having all this order quench the spirit? Doesn't make the worship service kind of dead? I mean, where are the emotions? Where's the spontaneity? Can God really move in a church service that's so structured? And it's true, we do want to make room for the spirit to move for spontaneity. In another letter that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says, do not quench the spirit. But read what he says in the verses after. He says, 
Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. In other words, like we mentioned before, assess what you hear, reject what isn't from God and only share what is good, what people need to hear. We don't wanna quench the spirit, but at the same time, it's important to note that the spirit is not one of chaos or disorder. He's not one to send mixed messages to cause even more confusion in the room. And so we can give him room to move, but it must be in keeping with his character, which is orderly. It must operate in step with the word of God. If we wanna see the church built up, then this is the way to do it. That's why at Broadway, we take such careful measures to make sure that our services do this. We play a video at the beginning of every service, explaining what people can expect in the service, and we have an order that we follow. We encourage that if you have something to share, to first talk to a pastor on the side who can discern whether it's something that needs to be said from the platform or not. All of this is to make Broadway an edifying place, to make it an environment that builds people up. Now, other churches might run things a little differently, and that's not wrong. We definitely don't claim that our way is the only right way. That's why there are so many different types of churches and denominations so that people can pick their preference. Some churches like to have more structure and some like to have less. And if you're looking for something with a little less structure here at Broadway, why don't you come to an encounter night, which is a service that we do a few times a year where we simply give space to worship and make room for the spirit to move. You could also join us for our Holy Spirit weekend or come to one of our retreats. These are programs that we designed to have a bit more space and time for people to walk out the spiritual gifts that they've been given. At the end of the day, everything we do here is to bring people closer to God. It's to help others grow in their faith, to encourage and to come together as a community, to create a safe environment for everyone to come to. Because as we learned in our life hack, you are meant to be a builder of God's church, not your own. As a follower of Jesus, this is your calling. And if you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, if all of this is new to you, or maybe you've heard it before, but you've been living for yourself and you wanna make a change today, you wanna start living out God's calling on your life, when you wanna start building up his church and not your own, then I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. So if you just wanna pause, take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes, whatever makes you feel comfortable. And if that's you, if you wanna say yes to Jesus right now, if you wanna start living for him, living for his church, living to build others up, then just say this prayer after me. You don't have to say it out loud if you want. You can just say it silently in your head or in your heart. But just say, Jesus, I come to you today. I recognize that I have sinned, that I'm far from you, but I don't wanna live that way any longer. Today, I choose to live for you to surrender my life, my thoughts, my words. Help me to live in a way that honors you and that builds up the church. And help me to tell someone about this decision before my head hits the pillow today. And God, I just pray for everyone else watching. I pray that as they listen to this message that they would be encouraged to build others up, not to just focus on themselves, God. Help us to be selfless people who want to encourage others, who want to see the church grow and thrive and be built up together. God, we just lift all of this up to you and we pray this in your name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer, you just made the best decision of your life and we're so happy for you. Now, I'd encourage you to text the number on the screen. It'll connect you to a pastor who will walk with you through the next steps and what it means to follow Jesus. We wanna help you as best as we can. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today and have a great rest of your week.